This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Coming up on today's Talking Buffalo podcast, have one of my favorite guests, recurring guests, Joe Marino from the Lockdown Bills podcast, also from the Draft Network. And you know the deal. It's Draft Week, baby. It's go time. Really excited. I'm sure football fans out there are very excited. It's going to be an eventful week. Different, if nothing else, a virtual draft. There's already been hiccups going on during a trial run on Monday. So it's going to be interesting, to say the least. I have Joe on, and we're going to talk mainly Buffalo Bills, of course, because that's what we do. The Bills do not own a first-round pick, and it's highly unlikely that they trade high enough to get into the first round. But after that, everything's on the table. And I'll talk to Joe about some of the prospects that he really likes. A couple guys that he thinks will be good fits for the Bills. And a few guys that maybe a lot of other people are talking about that Joe doesn't necessarily think will be good fits. We're going to run a simulated mock draft for the Bills. He's going to pick live without pre-preparation rounds two, three, and four. We'll do that. We'll spend some time talking about the team beyond the draft. Is this a football team that right now deserves to be the favorites in the AFC East. I'll ask Joe that. We'll go around the league. Just some good old-fashioned football talk today. I love it. My man, Joe Marino, I'm going to have that chat in just a minute. Before that, I want to let you know that today's show is being supported by Audimute. For nearly two decades, Audimute has set the standard for providing cutting-edge acoustic treatments for recording and sound environments. From your home studio to commercial settings, such as the office, restaurants, gyms, and auditoriums, Audimute is the best sound treatment company out there. That's because they refuse to compromise on the quality of their products and service ever. Easy, green, affordable. My home studio has Audimute acoustic panels, and the difference has literally been remarkable night and day. Look, don't just throw up foam on your walls, decide it looks pretty, and call it a day. It might look the part, but it's not going to improve your sound. Visit Audimute.com for info and deals, including a free room analysis form and the ability to speak with an acoustic specialist. Do your sound, do the people who hear it a very big service. Go visit Audimute.com. And on that note, let's do it. Buffalo's got a spirit talking proud, talking proud. Listen up and hear it talking proud, talking proud. All right, everyone, what's going on? How you doing? What's up? Episode 213, Talking Buffalo Podcast. Thank you to everyone out there for continuing to listen. Download the podcast. It means a lot to me. I'm joined right off the top here. My guest today, podcast host for Lockdown Bills, plus an analyst at the Draft Network. Recurring guest, third time I've been lucky enough to have him on the podcast with me. My man, Joe Marino. What's going on, dude? How you doing? 
Pat, I'm doing well, and uh, thanks so much for having me on for a third time now. And also, congratulations on the rebrand of the the podcast. As somebody who's uh, learned a lot about branding over the last year with uh, a guy we hired over at the Draft Network, Rob Juden, I can really appreciate the stuff you've done here, and, and it looks fantastic and, and sounds fantastic. So, congrats to you on that. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate that. That song at the top, by the way, you're former Buffalonian. You know Buffalo. You recognize that song, dude? It's 40 years old. I don't know if you're a little bit young for that or not, but <laughs> that song came out in 1980 and I had to jump through a lot of hoops to be able to get it on this podcast as uh, my theme. But yeah, 40 years old that song is. Yeah, I'm not uh, I'm not old enough to appreciate uh, that in real time, <laughs> but I, I've done, you know, I've done my my work in terms of researching and I read a lot about the uh, uh, the talking proud area era of Buffalo Bills football, if you will. Yeah. Cool stuff. Well, one thing I know you are very well versed in is the NFL draft and draft weeks here. It means one thing, the height of lion season, by the way, this week. So just today, we're taping this on Monday. I've read on Twitter and articles, and I mean, it's not like I just started reading about it today, but just today alone, I seen that Tua's going anywhere from top three with a team moving up to get them to possibly slide out of the top 15. I've read that the Kansas City Chiefs are trying to get into the top half of the first round to get rugs. I've read that the Giants are doing heavy due diligence on quarterback Justin Herbert with the fourth overall pick. Typically out of control, the, the days leading into the draft. You know this as well as everybody. Height of lion season, man. Yeah, it's really, I guess the word is frustrating. It's annoying because some of it's true. You know, you've got to sort through some of this stuff and realize that some of this information is good and very much worthy of consideration as you, you know, think about your final mock drafts or your final conversations on what you think you want your team to do. It's difficult because some of it is true, but you know, at the end of the day, a lot of people are mouthpieces out there that will, uh, you know, put information out there on purpose. And, you know, even me, I, I wouldn't consider myself the biggest of platforms out there, but I've been offered cash to say things from agents. And so you have to, you have to sort through it and weed through it and understand that as frustrating as it is, some of it is good Intel. Well, speaking of potential good Intel, anyway, one of the heavy trade rumors out there that does involve the Buffalo bills is lots of Leonard Fournette stuff out there in recent days. In fact, I saw on Monday, in fact, today, where as we're taping this, I think they had the Bills in Vegas right now as the betting favorites, actually, to land them in a trade. Do you think this is something that the Bills should be interested in? Would you? What's your take on Leonard Fournette as a player right now? You know, I can see why you would connect the dots. Even I wrote an article for the Draft Network on Monday where I outlined potential landing spots, and I had to pick the Bills just because you know, you look at this Bills roster and and I think that there's an obvious opportunity to upgrade RB2 where right now TJ Yeldon is scheduled to carry the football 150 plus times. And I think that's an obvious place where you can find an upgrade and get a more dynamic football player. And we know that Brandon Bean, the reason why he said after the season, why Frank Gore dressed over TJ Yeldon was because they wanted a downhill back. And that's exactly what Leonard Fournette is. And so a team like the Bills that have shown more than willingness to trade uh, a team with a need at running back that wants a downhill runner. It's easy to connect those dots. Now, am I the biggest Leonard Fournette fan out there? No, absolutely not. And I think Leonard Fournette will always have this stigma about him as being a top five running back that wasn't 
the best running back in football. Like if you take a running back that high, this needs to be a player that completely is dominant. Adrian Peterson level player. And and he was never that in Jacksonville. Now he is coming off his best year. And so I give him credit for that. But um, I guess from, from a personal perspective, he's not a player that as soon as he became available, I immediately said, Oh man, I hope the bill, the bills go get this guy. But I understand why the dots would be connected. I would understand why the bills would do it, especially, you know, you're basically getting a, a one year, $4 million non-guaranteed contract. Uh, and you're probably going to have to give up a, a mid to late day three pick to do it. And so like, it's inconsequential in terms of what you're really giving up and, and the implications. And the reality is I do believe that Leonard Fournette would be an upgrade over TJ Yeldon as RB two in the role that I think Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean envisioned for Devin Singletary's backup. Now, when you look at numbers and you know, this as well as anybody, sometimes a number could be deceiving. I look at his statistics and the only thing that kind of pops off the charts to me when I look at it is 76 receptions last year. Is that a facade, though? Because I never envisioned him as being this big pass-catching threat out of the backfield, but yet you look at those numbers. Now, he had 36 his first full, well, he had 13 games his first full season, and uh, 22 catches in eight games in year two, and then last year he had 76 catches. Now, is that a design concerted effort, do you know, by Jacksonville to get him involved in the passing game, or is that just more of a case of, Quarterback just dumping the ball for him, you know, for two, three yard gains. And he's not really that big of a threat. And that number might be a little deceiving because 76 catches for a running back like him to me is impressive. And I didn't know that until I looked at his numbers. Yeah, no, I think it, what it came down to last year, this was the first year that, um, you know, Blake Bortles wasn't the quarterback in Jacksonville. And so you had a situation where Gardner Minshew was basically, you know, the guy there in, in Jacksonville. And if you watch, Minshew play he's the type of quarterback that he almost invites chaos you know I don't think he's a real sharp like in rhythm passer but he likes to kind of get the football be really patient let things develop let the rush get there and he's looking for outlets and I'm sure you know a big a big part of his outlet opportunities was giving the football to Leonard Fournette because yeah that's not anything like I mean he didn't catch 76 passes in his first two years combined so it it, it definitely is uh, uh, a bit of an anomaly in terms of the style of offense they play dictated that a bit I don't think he's the type of uh, receiving threat that demands those types of opportunities and the interesting thing about Leonard Fournette is is you kind of go back to his days at LSU and what what type of runner he was and, and um, uh, what type of skills he has entering the league. And I think the big thing has been, even at LSU, he's not a guy that has wonderful vision and makes really sharp, quick decisions. He's a guy that really thrives when you can move bodies out of the way and give him runways to get his, you know, what is he? Six foot two, 230 pounds or six foot two thirty going. And he's got like four or five speed and you get that going and he's a load to deal with and he's physical. And that's where he, that's where he wins. That's where you want that guy. I'm not sure that, Last year, in terms of his multifaceted statistics, is something that'll be indicative indicative of the type of player he is moving forward. One thing, and this is what I wanted to ask you, because it reminds me a lot of Josh Norman as well. Do you buy into the theory of no risk or low risk? Because I kind of have a problem with that. And again, I'll use Josh Norman as an example. And I'll also use Leonard Fournette here. If you really want him in Buffalo, let's just say that the Bills get him for a late round pick, okay? The sentiment would be, well, they didn't give up anything to get him. And you were potentially getting, you know, a top flight running back, at least in terms of where he was drafted. A guy who has ran for a thousand yards two times, both times he's been uh 
played a full season. He's ran for over a thousand yards. So they'll say, well, you know, he's got one more year left and he can leave and you can get a comp pick for him. Blah, blah, blah. This and that. My issue is this. And again, it's the same thing with Josh Norman where they say, well, it's a one-year deal, low money. If you do trade for Leonard Fournette, let's say, again, we're taping this Monday and sometime before Thursday or, or Friday or even during the draft, they trade for him. I don't like that term, no risk, because, and maybe I'm wrong. And if I am, you tell me. Because if they trade for Leonard Fournette, there goes any chance that they might take a running back at 54. You know what I mean? Kind of like with corner. Well, they could still take a corner because I don't think Josh Norman is that type of player. But when you sign somebody, that's a resource that you're not signing a different player. So even if there's not a financial risk, I always feel like there's some sort of risk in a player, even if he doesn't pan out because you didn't use your resources to go get someone else. So if you don't like Leonard Fournette, but you feel like, well, we're not giving up anything to get him, not necessarily true because that might prevent Brandon Bean from taking a running back as early as in the draft or signing someone else that he might have otherwise done. Do you agree with that or do you think I'm wrong? No, I think it's a good point. And especially when you think about the Bills at 54, I think they have a very good chance to get one of the top five running backs in this year's class. So, you know, acquiring Leonard for net does make that less likely of an opportunity. And so it's an unnecessary move. You didn't have to trade for Leonard for In fact, you went out of your way to make something happen. You gave up an asset to acquire this player. That's a pretty strong stamp of approval on him and the role that you think he can have for your football team, even if it is a day three draft pick. And then the other part of it is just kind of from a culture fit perspective. Does Leonard Fournette really fit this process driven locker room that this, that Sean McDermott and, and uh, Brandon Bean have built. I mean, we can go back and look at Leonard Fournette being disciplined by the Jaguars for sleeping through meetings and being late and, and all those types of things. I mean, that doesn't scream McDermott guy. And then you kind of go back to his time at LSU when there's questions, does he love football? Did he nurse an ankle injury uh, to not have to play as much? Cause he just wanted to get to the NFL and get paid. I mean, there's questions like that, that, exists with Fournette that, you know, I, I think you can piece together and draw some question marks to the idea um, as to whether or not they should do it or not. Let's turn our focus towards a draft. You're a draft guy. This is the best time of year for you, I'm sure. This year, it's a virtual draft, obviously. What ratio of excited about this process are you versus nervous seeing how this plays out? Now, you did a Mock draft test on Monday, and Adam Schefter tweeted out right away with the first pick with Cincinnati that there was a glitch. I think John Elway said after that, things went well. But obviously, the potential for something going wrong is there. How excited are you about this, and how nervous are you that something could go wrong? Well, I'm obviously excited that the draft is happening, right? That That is... I mean, it's Christmas for me. And I know that's a common way to say it for people, but as somebody who loves roster construction and I mean, I, my, my career, this is what I do. I, I cover the NFL draft. I mean so much. I love it. It's my passion. So to, to, for this to happen is just uh, something that every year I look forward to tremendously. Now, here's the thing about the virtual draft and, you know, some of the glitches that were reported on Monday. And I don't know if I'm just missing something, Pat, but like, I don't know what the big deal is here. I, I mean, these these 32 general managers are always not together. It's not like they all come into the same room and make draft picks. I mean, it's always done remotely. I get a Google spreadsheet together, make it live and do the friggin' draft. Like, you know, I do that all the time with our, our premium members with the, the draft network. We'll get together in a Slack uh, in Slack and do a Google document and we'll simulate the draft and everything you know, on 32 people make 32 different picks for the teams. It's like, I don't understand the, the challenges of it. I mean, you know, who's been, 
been picked. Okay, so have some type of reporting mechanism for the for declaring who you have picked. Okay, a timer starts, and the next team makes a pick. You have phone calls like you typically would to make trades. Like I just I don't know where these complications are coming from and why this is so difficult. But I I certainly read the same things you probably have today and listened to you know uh, Adam Schefter talk about it, and and I'm a little bit confused as to what the big deal is and why this is so challenging. Yeah, it definitely. Now, I want to do a couple of hypotheticals with you, and then we're going to get into the actual draft, just because, frankly, I think it would be fun, a little something different to do. I know how hard you've been working getting ready for this draft. Both revolve around the Bills, obviously, and that 22nd pick. Now, for somebody like you, this is your living. This is what you do. This is a year-round thing for you. For a casual football fan, even somebody like myself, to be completely honest with you, Joe, I have, when, when they traded for Diggs and that 22nd pick was gone, there went any mock draft that I did for the whole year. Now, I normally would mock 21 teams and try to be fair about it so I could get to the Bills pick at 22, but I stopped doing that, again, because I wasn't going to mock 53 guys. Frankly, I didn't take the time after they acquired Diggs to really learn enough about them. I'm just being honest with you here. But let's just say, for the sake of discussion, that the Diggs trade fell through, okay? And... A physical problem, something, and the trade did not happen. And the Bills were on the clock at 22. That never happened. And for whatever reason, Brandon Bean didn't go out and sign a receiver. So that would be on the table. If the Bills were picking at 22, quite obviously, you would say wide receiver would be their top priority. Like, what would you be most locked in on at 22 if you were the Bills and you didn't end up trading for Diggs? And you got to assume, of course, that Lamb, Judy, and, and Ruggs are probably all gone. Well, I mean, the first thing I would start to think about is Brandon Bean trading up for one of those wide receivers. And I think that's why he made the deal is because he didn't feel like one of them was going to be in striking distance at 22. And and my goodness, if he was willing to part with 22 as well as, you know, several other picks to get digs, you don't think he'd have been willing to give up 54 and some other picks to get up into the te- the teens and get one of those top three receivers. So I think that would probably be the line of thinking there there now if he wasn't going to do a trade up and and right that was off the table I do think at 22 we'd be talking about uh Justin Jefferson the wide receiver from LSU Denzel Mims a wide receiver from Baylor maybe a defensive end like Yeter Gross Matos from Penn State perhaps even a cornerback Christian Fulton from LSU AJ Terrell from from Clemson so um the wide receiver thing would would be very prominent there but to me, it's it's a lot of the, the same positions we're talking about for 54, but the higher caliber uh, prospects and then, um, you know, maybe even factoring in a position like defensive end where maybe the options aren't so attractive at 54, but at 22, you can get, you know, a really toolsy guy like Gross Matos that would make sense. Now, this is the hypothetical, the second one that I think is more fun. Let's say they do pick up digs, which they did, but let's just say that instead of giving up a first rounder, this year, they gave up their first rounder next year to do it. I'm not saying he should have done that. In fact, I'm quite glad they didn't. But if they did that right now, so you have Diggs on your team and you were still picking at number 22, this is kind of impossible to answer because I'm sure you would have, a, at least to some extent, a best player available. But if the Bills still had that first round pick and Diggs this year, what do you think they probably would be looking first? It's interesting, you know, especially with the information, knowing that you don't have a first round pick, pick in 20. Uh, 21. You right. could kind of you can kind of see this as a situation where the Bills might look to trade back. As weird as that sounds, right? I mean, Brandon Bean's not really done that. 
Uh, but, you know, if you were comfortable not having your first round pick this year, having digs, well, you've already created that scenario. Maybe this is a situation where, hey, we don't like the process this year. We didn't get the intel we normally do. Remember, it was like the Dallas Cowboys and the Bills. They, they did that trade for J.P. Lozman and the, the, the Cowboys traded completely out of the first round. And then the Bills gave up uh, some picks and then as well as their first round pick next year. Yep. You know, it could be a situation where they would look to do something like that. Like, yeah, we're good. We got digs. We think he's a first round pick. Some team looking to trade back up into the first round. Uh, we'll trade completely out. We'll go to 45 and you can come up to 22. Give us your one next year and plus a three or something. And you get a deal like that done. So uh, that would be something I would think would happen. But then, you know, uh, you could look at the same type of stuff, right? The defensive end, Yates or gross models, the corners that could be available. Um, but yeah, I think at, at that point, knowing you don't have a one in 2021, you would be really interested in trading back and getting some extra capital. So pick 54, as of right now, is scheduled to be the first Bills pick. Now, we know Brandon Bean very well. <laughs> would be very surprised and almost if he didn't move up at some point from 54. But, okay, so Talking Buffalo podcast is different. Like, Lockdown Bills, you guys, this is the draft. This is all Buffalo Bills. I know you do other podcasts with people, guys like Greg and, of course, Nick and Nolan, their show. And that's much more draft-heavy, at least right now anyway. Whereas with this podcast... Sometimes we don't even talk football. I might have a hockey episode. I just did a show with Matt Perino last week where we talked about pretty much the best places of Buffalo. And nothing to do with the draft is my point. So not everyone who listens to this podcast regularly might be that well-versed with this year's prospects. So give people listening a couple guys that you really like at 50-40, that you think could be good fits for the Bills, that at least have a realistic chance of being on the board. Yeah, you know, I, I think from a personal perspective, I do gravitate towards the running backs uh, where, again, we're looking to upgrade the roster right now. That low-hanging fruit is 150-plus touches to TJ Yeldon. And my top five running backs, Ohio State's J.K. Dobbins, DeAndre Swift from Georgia, Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire from LSU, and Cam Akers from Florida State. All of them are very talented runners, guys that profile as, you know, 1A, 1B type backs. Uh, they can all catch the ball football the football pretty well, except for Jonathan Taylor is not necessarily the most proven there, but you know, he's like 230 pounds and runs four, three. So, you know, he's a really dynamic football player in a different way. And if the bills were looking for that true downhill guy, you know, Taylor would be the guy that would make the most sense. But any of those top five backs are appealing to me. Uh, it sounds like we're both a little bit concerned about this cornerback situation. I know that you have three players that have had success in the system opposite of Trey white and Levi Wallace, Josh Norman, and EJ Gaines. However, Levi Wallace is definitely a maxed out football player. That's going to be hovering around average at best. Uh, if you continue to roll with him, EJ Gaines is never healthy. And Josh Norman hasn't had a good year in three seasons and he's 32 and you know, he's lost a step and he never had a step to lose because he doesn't really have a great athletic profile. So to me, as much as you can sit here and say, wow, there's three uh, proven guys within the scheme, you've got major question marks about all three of them. And so you could look to the draft of pick 54. I think some realistic guys that could be available, uh, Damon Arnett from Ohio State. Uh, you've got Trayvon Diggs from Alabama, who is actually Stefan Diggs' brother, Bryce Hall from Virginia, who I think is a perfect scheme fit uh, and, uh, you know, a process guy that you would really feel like Sean McDermott and company would love. Jalen Johnson from Utah as well. He's got a shoulder thing, but from a scheme fit perspective, he makes a lot of sense. So running back, cornerback, those are some options. 
uh, in terms of where I think the bills are most likely to invest. Now there's the discussion about getting a big nickel, a, a Buffalo nickel type player that you can do some matchup specific stuff. Kyle Duggar from Lenore Ryan is a popular name uh, as a small school guy that, that can kind of do some versatile things. Maybe uh, what you thought maybe Saran Neal would be, but uh, and another chance at a player like that. Also Jeremy Chin from Southern Illinois, player that I know the Bills had a FaceTime meeting with uh, that is probably a more athletic, more dynamic, younger version of Kyle Duggar if they were looking to a different option uh, for that role. So, I mean, there's options on offensive line that would make sense. Uh, They could, you know, go with an X-factor player at receiver uh, if one were to fall. But I think the reality is the Bills have a lot of opportunities to upgrade the football team, and they don't have a lot of big glaring holes. And so Brandon Bean's in pretty good shape to just kind of let this thing fall to him and, uh, you know, get a good football player. I tell you, I'm on the same page with you 100% about the corners. That's for sure. I'm not sold on anyone else after Trey White. And again, they might have numbers, but it doesn't seem like any of those other guys are even close to being any kind of long-term solution. Uh, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put you on a spot. So not going to do the entire Bills draft. That'll take too long. And people could go on the draftnetwork.com because that's literally Joe's site. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm simulating. And this is the great thing about this. You don't have to care about the other teams because this computer does all the work for you. <laughs> you only have to care about the Bills. So I've just simulated the first 53 picks. So the Bills are going to be on the clock. We're not doing trades on this one. Now, if you are a premium member of Draft Network, you can do trades. That's right. But uh, we're not doing that today. So the Bills will be on the clock at 54. And if you're talking running backs, right off the bat, Kyle Edwards, Hilaire's there. And we have, uh, I'm trying to look at other running backs that would be on the board. Cam Akers, probably. Um, he's a little further down the list, I think. Let's just take, let me, let me verify that. Yep, he's there. Cam Akers is there for sure. So those are the two big ones that are on the list. Uh, Antonio Gibson is there as well. So you would have those guys. And again, these are very realistic and they could happen. Now, if you wanted to go corner, let's see what corners are going to be on the board. Uh, we have, oh, we have Trevon Diggs is still there. Bryce Hall is still there. Uh, Damon Arnett is still there. Would Trayvon Diggs being available at 54 be a pretty big upset, do you think? No, I, I think there's been some... Um... It's not what's the opposite of buzz uh, sizzle. Uh, he's, he's been uh, his draft stock is not going in the right direction right now. I think as people have really dug into his tape, you, you find some warts and he's a, he's a player that is still new to playing cornerback. He he's a converted wide receiver and he's got ball skills like a wide receiver, but you know, there's a natural feel that comes from playing uh, corner and mirroring routes and feeling route stems and understanding route combinations and where to be. And, you know, at this point, Diggs just isn't quite there. Now, if there's anybody that's going to maximize defensive backs, it's going to be Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier. So it's a good fit in terms of, you know, he's a talented player with good physical tools. He's got ball skills. He's got an alpha mentality. He's just raw technically. And you feel like you can coach that up and, and really, you know, get the most out of his skill set. But I think at this point, when you look at this very deep and talented corner class, you know, your most teams are probably going to gravitate away from the guy that is a little bit unpolished. Kyle Duggar is on the board. If you did want to look at receiver, you got Michael Pimmon Jr. and LaVisca Chenault. They're there as well. Uh, I really don't see any interior offensive line. Donovan Peoples-Jones is there at receiver too. So if you're looking receiver, running back, cornerback, that's who they're. Now, in fairness, because you're not getting to see this, I'm the only one who could visually see this. There might be one or two guys that you have ranked high that 
might be on the board that you're not even going to know about. So this is semi-unfair to you, but given the information that I've given you anyway, limited information, if you're at pick 54 right now, where are you going? Is this a what Joe Marino would do, or am I predicting what I think Brandon Bean will do? This is a what would Joe Marino, the general okay. manager of the Buffalo Bills, do? Yeah, I, I like some of the cornerback options that I can get a, in the third round, which we will definitely uh, go that direction just to give you a warning on the next pick. But I feel I really do feel very passionately about, you know, you have a situation to upgrade th- this running back two spot. And if um, if TJ Yeldon is your RB two and he's going to touch the ball, let's call it one hundred and seventy five times this year and I can get an extra two yards per carry or two yards per touch out of a more dynamic football player. I mean, we're talking 350 yards of offense right there. And and I want that. I want a more dynamic backup to Devin Singletary. And the one that I think fits best is Cam Akers uh, from Florida state. I love Clyde Edwards Hilaire. I think he's um, he's a higher rated player for me in a vacuum. Okay. But now that I get to apply this to the bills, I like Cam Akers better. And the reason why is because Cam Akers, I think is a bigger, uh, more explosive runner that maybe you don't get as dynamic of a pass catcher, but I have, a, I think a better feel for his ability to break tackles and, and really be a between the tackles runner, but also give you that long ball. And he's very athletic, a more athletic football player than Clyde Edwards Hilaire. And so I think compliment to Devin Singletary, I can get really get very much behind Cam Akers in that role. Kind of a follow-up to that. So two things, number one, Joe Marino, the general manager, clearly saying then under this circumstance, and even if Jacksonville says, give us a, a fifth or a sixth, and we'll give you Fournette, you're saying no. You'd rather draft that running back yeah. than trade for him. I'm good with that, too, because I actually 100% agree. Follow up to what you just said, though. What's your take right now on Devin Singletary after one year going into year two? Now that you've had a full year to see him, what kind of running back do you think he is? Do you think he could be that feature number one running back, or do you think it's pretty important, which going by taking a running back in round two, it feels like you do that. He needs to have a really good complimentary back to go with him. Yeah, I like Devin Singletary a ton. I think that he um, is a player that can touch the ball 240 to 260 times a year. Um, and the reality is, I know, I mean, Brandon Bean and or Sean McDermott has said it's not good for one guy to touch the ball every time. He's It's going to be a committee approach. And we've seen that throughout the, the run here with Sean McDermott and I think that they want a 1A and a 1B. And with that in mind, um, that's where I feel like, you know, despite me thinking that Devin Singletary is perfectly legitimate as a as a number one back, I think that you do need to have that 1B. And I like the idea of having your stable of backs on rookie deals. You know, like you have three more years of Singletary on his rookie deal and four years of acres in this scenario where you're you have two really good running backs and you're not paying much money at all for them. And having a good running back matters in the NFL. Paying running backs is where you make mistakes. And so you're telling me that for the next three seasons, I can have Akers and Singletary on rookie deals and I can build my roster elsewhere and not think about running backs. And I know that I have dynamic football players. I mean, that's what I'm seeing here is the appeal. Tell you what, if you don't have a future in being a GM, maybe you could be a salesperson because I feel like you got a soul, man. I was kind of on the fence about Fournette, but now that you put it that way, that is a, a very good point. All right, so now we're going to go to round three. We're at pick 86. Before I get to some corners, because you said that's probably where you're going to go, I feel like I should at least let you know who's at the top of uh, the value board right now. So you got Chase Claypool, wide receiver from Notre Dame. He's up there. Um, We just went running back. So if you're looking at tight end, Adam Troutman's there. And so is uh, Bryson Hopkins. 
You're looking at a safety. Terrell Burgess is there. Matthew Pertz, the highest rated offensive tackle. In terms of corners, let's uh, take a look here at your board. You got Tony Pride Jr. from Notre Dame. You got Amik Robertson. You got Josiah Scott, Reggie Robinson II. Um, Harrison uh, Hand. Disappointed to not hear the name Bryce Hall. Uh, is Michael Ojemudier there? He cornerback from Iowa. Yes, okay. he is. All right, so that's a player that I like. Uh, before I commit to this corner, can you go to the edge rushers and tell me who's available there? Daryl Taylor. Ooh. Uh, Jabari Zuniga. Khalid Kareem. Bradley Ane. Alex Highsmith. So this this decision for me comes down to Darrell Taylor, the defensive end from Tennessee, who I think is a perfect scheme fit. He's physical and powerful at the point of the attack, and I think he's got really nice pass rushing tools. And I think at 86 would be just wonderful value. Um, now, I do think the Bills are probably better suited at defensive end, and this is me. I'm making the pick, and I'm real nervous about cornerback. And what this comes down to, I'm going to go with Michael Ojemudier from, from Iowa, the cornerback there. What this comes down to is – Trey White is your number one cornerback. You're about to pay him a ton of money. Right. And and you have good safeties. This other cornerback is going to be targeted a ton. I mean, all the time. This is going to be the player that every offense, when they play the Buffalo Bills, is going to go after. And that's why I think it's important to find a good football player there. But the challenge is, based on what you're paying Hyde and Poyer and White, you only have so much money you can commit to your secondary. To get a meaningful player on a rookie deal is very important to me, especially when you think, you know, uh, Trey White is probably going to sign a, what, four or five-year extension. You're somewhat mirroring a bit the contracts with this rookie coming in on a four-year deal where I know that I have my guys set in place and I'm not going to have to worry about committing a ton of resources to CB2 because I have so much in CB1 and my top safeties. So I think the Bills need to be very deliberate and intentional about finding this young cornerback that's going to be inexpensive. And the way you do that is taking one fairly high in the draft. I think 86, a guy like Michael Ujimedia, who is uh, absolutely a zone corner. If you watch him at Iowa, you see him playing a very similar style of defense to what the Bills employ. And so I think from a zone coverage perspective, he's very savvy. He gives you ball skills. He tested better than I thought he would in terms of athleticism. He's got good size. And so I want to find that answer opposite of Trey White. And I think Ujimedia gives the Bills a good chance to do it. I like that a lot. I kind of tend to agree. I'm not sure about the players. You would know better than me, but Running back and corner definitely feels like if there's no trades anyway, yeah. those feel like two positions that they should definitely address with those first two picks. Again, they might move up. They might move down to get one of them. All right, so the last one we'll do. The fourth round, instead of before I name you any players, so now you've taken a runner, now you've taken a cornerback. What would you go into this round saying, this would be a good position that I probably would like to add somebody? Or is it purely BPA for you at this point? Um, I think I would want to get a, a player, uh, a BPA, but at a position where I feel like I can get some return, right? I'm not just going to get, you know, if it, I think the best player on the board is the center and Mitch Morse is the center for the next three years. And you've got like a million backup centers. It's not something where I would want to use that pick. So I do, I do always think in the back of my mind, BPA, but at a position where I think there's a course them making the roster and making an impact. All right. Now, what position would you enter this draft saying? Well, if all things are equal, I'd really like to add someone here. Uh, defensive end, just I, I want to see some youth there. You know, Trent, Trent Murphy's going to be 30 very soon. And then you've got 
Mario Addison and uh, Jerry Hughes that are over 30. And I know that you have Daryl Johnson coming back and good for him. I'm like, he, he played 20% of the snaps on defense and was a four phase special team there. So I, on one hand, I do think, feel like you do have a, a nice young player uh, in that role. But I, I always think about pass rushers at, at edge because the, I think they're so important. I mean, if there's an offensive lineman that fell that I like that, you know, you look at this offensive line beyond this season and really Cody Ford's your only tackle under contract and your only guys on the interior under contract are Mitch Morris and Quentin Spain, right? So you, you, you have all these rosterable offensive linemen. You bring back all nine from last year. You bring in Evan Bame and Daryl Williams who were rostered players last year. You've got 11 rosterable NFL offensive linemen, but you've only got like three coming back after this year. And so if you can get a guy in the system that, you know, can, can take over a spot, especially next year where the bills have $56 million in cap space right now. And that's not including any money for Trey white or for Deion Dawkins or for Matt Milano or whatever else you want to do to improve your football team. Right. All right. Well, if we go end, I'm just going to name in the couple guys that are ranked highest on the board. So this is pick 128. You got Jonathan Garvin. You got Ooh. Anthony Jennings. You got Derek Tuska. And you got Travis Gibson if you wanted to go in. Now, offensive tackle would definitely be one you said you would take a good look at. So we go there. We got Hakeem. I can't pronounce this guy's name. I'm Adeniji. <laughs> That's the guy. Yeah. <laughs> Jack Driscoll, Terrence Steele, and, and Justin Heron. Those are the highest ranked offensive tackles. So if you're going, and again, I'm kind of putting you in an unfair spot because you're not getting to look at your own board right now and see who else might be out there. Like you might have a second grade value on a guy who's, still hanging around in the fourth round that you would pull the trigger on, regardless of what position he played. But those are the biggest tackles in um, defensive ends left. Yeah, as soon as you said John Garvin's name, I knew that would be the pick that I would want to make. Uh, 6'4", 263, 34-inch arms, ran 4'8", 36 inches in the vertical and 125 inches in the broad jump. Those are all outstanding numbers. I think he's a prototype for the Bills in terms of what they're looking for at defensive ends. And he's a player that he's younger. I don't think he's even – I think he turns 21 in July. A younger football player with a ton of ton of potential. He's not super consistent at this point. I'll, I'll, I'll say that. But you watch him on tape – and you see all of the traits needed to become a dynamic uh, outside pass rusher. He's got flexibility to get around the outside hip of offensive tackles. He's got a good quick st- uh, first step quickness, and he, he has very good stride length. And so when, when he gets hip to hip with offensive tackles, when you combine that length and that flexibility with, you know, kind of his ability to get in that favorable position to turn, I mean, he, he that's stuff that you're looking for in, in these defensive ends. And so throw, from a, a, a position where uh, you want to – have good young talented players and and I feel like the Bills can use a player like this. Um, you know, Garvin I think is a guy in, in a year or two that I think we could look back and say that was one of the steals of the draft. So that's my pick. All right. So we got a running back a corner and a defensive end with those three picks. Now let's sort of focus for a few minutes here as we start to wind down a little bit. The Bills were very active again this offseason, just like two years ago. Maybe not quite as active, but they added a lot of significant talent. They trade for Diggs. They added Mario Addison. Quinn Jefferson, Vernon Butler, Klein. Have we officially hit like the win now portion of this Bills re- rebuild? Whatever you want to call it, rebuild, reorganization, whatever you want to call it. It feels to me like going out and trading and giving up a first round pick for a guy like Diggs, bringing in guys, veterans like Addison, Butler, that it feels like this team feels like they can win right now. Yeah, it's a life cycle, right? They're at a point in their life cycle where 
it's ripe. You know, you've got your quarterback on a rookie deal. You've got so many meaningful players on rookie deals. I mean, so you have a kind of a rare opportunity to be stacked with talent that just other teams that are paying their quarterback 35, you know, $30 million a year. They're so stressed with their roster that they can't really have this type of talent across the board. And from from the perspective of the life cycle, you have a team that just won 10 games uh, was definitely not uh, impossible to envision the Bills beating the Texans and winning a playoff game last year. Right. Obviously, overtime with that loss, you know, you feel like you're right in the thick of it and you've got the Chiefs in your way. You've got the Ravens in your way. Obviously, Tom Brady's out of the division. It's definitely a point as, as weird as it is to say, right, Pat? I mean, this is not stuff we've been talking about very, very much recently. The Bills are at a point in their life cycle where they have to look at this year and next year as really prime opportunities to make a run at winning the AFC. And, um, yeah, I, th- I think you can look at the moves Brandon Bean has made. I mean, going back to the year you know, 2018 where they took their medicine with we have to get this dead cap out from underneath us. That way we have flexibility moving forward. And that flexibility has led to this massive influx of veteran talent that's come through over the last uh, couple of years. Now, the challenge is sustaining it. Right. And part of that comes from being able to uh, to draft well and continue to get players that can be meaningful contributors on rookie deals because, you know, it's starting to happen. Right. I mean, we're starting to feel this next year. Dawkins, Milano, Trey White. You gonna pay them all? You gonna let somebody walk? I mean, it gets more difficult the next year. It's it's Josh Allen and Tremaine Edmonds, and that all, all these good young players that are gonna cost a lot of money to keep. You know, it's it's just gonna become more difficult. So yeah, your your real ripe opportunity is these next two years before you're forking out massive money, hopefully to Josh Allen. Yeah, absolutely. Because it feels like the core of this team is definitely a place right now. Last year they signed everybody and anybody because there wasn't a lot of talent on this team. This mm-hmm. year they go out and maybe they upgraded the defensive line. Maybe they didn't. They definitely redid it. That's for sure. I mean, Shaq Lawson and Jordan Phillips were not bums. They had very good seasons last year. Jordan Phillips had nine half sacks. Shaq had six and a half, and he's always been very good against the run. So it's not like they let bums walk and sign these great players. That remains to be seen. But anyway, they added a legit number one receiver. That's for sure. And you just mentioned it. That's why I said the course here now. I'm not sure how many more big names other than if they get hit on the draft that they're going to be adding. Because you mentioned Trey White, probably going to become the highest paid corner in the NFL soon. Mm-hmm. Deion Dawkins, your left tackle. Milano, Josh Allen will be going into year four next year if he has a good year in 2020. Who knows? Maybe he's close to a new deal. And then you have tons of guys. I'm just going through right now. All these guys are in the last year of their deal. Not necessarily game changers, but starters are death. Murphy, Croft, Feliciano, Inseki, Norman, Spencer mm-hmm. Long, Barkley, E.J. Gaines, DeMarco, Yeldon. So lots of turnover potential. Feels like, I agree, this two-year window right now, it feels like. Do you think the Bills deserve to be the favorites in the AFC East this year? Because that's what a lot of uh, betting sites had them opening as the favorite. Do you feel that's deserved right now? I, I do. And, and I'm, I think, Pat, I, everybody knows I'm a Bills fan, but I think, I think I do a good job of taking the fan goggles off and being objective with my analysis and not – uh, you know, not being a homer. And when I look at this division, I mean, the bills are already further along than the dolphins and jets. Okay. So I, I think you can kind of say right off the bat, the bills at worst are two. All right. And so it becomes a bills Patriots conversation. Well, let me tell you a couple of things about the Patriots. First of all, they've got the worst quarterback room in the NFL. They yeah. do. Yeah. It's the worst. There's no question about it. I will argue with anyone. The worst combination of quarterbacks on any roster in the NFL is Jarrett Stidham and Brian Hoyer. 
That's as bad as it gets. Okay. <laughs> and then you look at their roster. They've lost a lot of guys too. I think they have three difference makers on their football team. Stefan Gilmore at corner. And then they have their two guards, Shaq Mason and Joe Tooney. Well, they might have to trade away Joe Tooney because they got about, uh, you know, they've, they don't have much in terms of cap space. And if they want to do anything meaningful, they want to go out and sign a Jameis Winston or a Cam Newton or get a Andy Dalton to upgrade their worst quarterback room in football. Well, that's probably going to come at the expense of Joe Tooney, who's carrying $14 million with the franchise tag. I mean, they don't have any flexibility. They're not going to get any better unless they get rid of Joe Tooney. They don't have any cap space. So I just... I look at this football team. I know they have Bill Belichick. The last time Brady wasn't there, they went 11 and five with Matt Castle, but that remainder of team was much better. This, this team is not that good. They have a good secondary. They, they have some okay pieces on the defensive line. We know their offensive line is pretty good, but their offensive skill players are terrible and they don't have a quarterback. And so you, you tell me, I mean, I, I don't think it's that crazy to think that the, the bills are the favorite in the AFC East right now. I'll tell you what, this might be a stretch, but, I don't think it's crazy to say that Miami might actually end up being the second best team in the division this year. Yeah. I mean, every year there's one or two teams. You know this. You've been mm-hmm. around football a long time. Every single year there's a team that went 5-11 and 11 the year before, 4-12, and 12, and next thing you know they're in the playoffs or at least contending for the playoffs. And Miami's made some good moves. Maybe they'll, uh, they'll be that team this year. A couple can other I, things. Can I, I, can I comment there on the Dolphins? I, I, I think this is important to get out there. I, I – um. I like what the Dolphins are doing. I mean, they had a very strong offseason. They got good, young, talented football players. Brian Flores found a way to go five and four down the last nine last year with a, with a terrible roster. Here's the thing. I, if, if the Miami Dolphins are going to be good, I think it's going to be difficult for that to happen this year. They had a massive turnover with their coaching staff, and they have nine new coaches this year. And you're talking about another probably 30 35% flip in their roster in an offseason where you're just not going to have the same opportunities to get together and, and build your football team and build cohesion and chemistry, right? Because of the dynamics of what's going on with the virus. I, I just feel like it's difficult with that much turnover to expect the Dolphins to be um, – a real contender. Now, second place in the AFC East might not be saying much, all right? But yeah. I do think that that they're probably a year away from really making any noise. You know what I like about them is they didn't tank last year. And I think there's something to be said for that. I use the Buffalo Sabres as a perfect example. They played well. You said it. Down the stretch, they played hard. Everyone in the world thought Miami was tanking. And I like the fact that they didn't develop that loser Mentality. I don't like tanking. I think it has a negative effect on the entire franchise. Again, I look at the Sabres as a perfect example of what losing intentionally, maybe not the players. I don't think the players are ever going to lose on purpose, but management puts them in a position where they can't win. And that's had a bad effect on the Sabres going back from years. I think they developed a, a losing culture. And I, I really liked the job that Flores did last year with Miami for that reason. And, and here's the thing, the, the, the benefit of tanking is you get the number one overall pick, right? That's what everybody wants. Well, guess what? The, the, the only way to solve your quarterback problem isn't the number one overall pick. In fact, let's work through the best quarter, quarterbacks in football. And you tell me how many are the number one pick. Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Dak Prescott. Did I name any number one overall right. picks? No, absolutely not. There's more. You can find that answer without having the number one overall pick. So, yeah, we are both anti-tanking. Yep, for sure. Last couple things here. How do you feel about Cody Ford? You hit on him earlier playing right tackle. Now, nothing official anyway from the Bills, but bringing back Quinn in Spain certainly makes Ford staying at right tackle feel like a formality. Now, maybe I'd feel a little different if the Bills still did have that 22nd pick 
in a top tackle slipped a little bit and the Bills took a right tackle at 22. Uh, could, I guess, technically be in play at 54 still, but I don't see it now. You think Cody Ford's pretty much locked into playing right tackle? I do. I think I think the Bills think Cody Ford's are starting right tackle. So as much as there's been discussion, a lot of people believe that his best role is at guard. We can think that and debate that all we want. I think Sean McDermott thinks he's a right tackle. And um, I, I think after the draft, as soon as I get confirmation, if you will, like if they use pick 54 on a true offensive tackle, well, then obviously there's new information. But I think I'll, I'm going to do an entire podcast on why uh, I think Cody Ford can get better at right tackle. Uh, and I think I have a lot to say about that. Um, not, not that I don't agree that his best role would be guard, but you know, if this is going to be the course with Cody Ford, I think I can outline some, some reasons for optimism, but I want to hold those takes until I know for sure that the bills don't go out and, uh, you know, secure one of these better offensive tackles. Well, I'll look forward to listening to that episode. All right. So two more questions here. Number one, and this probably is not a question that you can answer until after the draft, because the answer probably is going to lie in a team or two that's looking to get a quarterback in a draft where it doesn't work out for him. But you got Jameis Winston out there. You got Cam Newton out there. Where do you see these guys ending up? You know, what's interesting is I'm surprised a little bit that they're still looking for a team. You know, these are guys that are definitely starting quarterbacks in the NFL. They they have their questions, obviously. But, I mean, Jameis Winston just passed for 5,000 yards and 30 touchdowns. Yeah, he also threw, threw 30 interceptions, but productivity's never been a problem. He's a guy that deserves to be on a team. It almost feels like this is a situation with Jameis specifically where the he's waiting out an opportunity where somebody gets hurt, you know, where there's no clear course for him to start right now. Maybe he has some chances to take a very small deal and be a backup. But if a situation happens where camp opens or, you know, uh, preseason starts and, you know, lo and behold, some meaningful starting quarterback goes down. Well, Jameis Winston's going to be a pretty popular guy that can come in and get a chance to be a starter and really prove himself. Uh, you know, not that he hasn't had five years in the league, but you know, I, obviously, I feel like he's probably still feels like he has something to prove, and, and he want to take advantage of a chance like that. Now, Cam Newton's a player that I've always kind of thought was going to go to the Chargers, and and I thought, um, you know, as much as Tom Telesco and Anthony Lynn want to preach to us Tyrod Taylor, Tyrod Taylor's been overlooked. You know, in Buffalo has a chance to be the starter, of course, in Cleveland, where it was very short lived and he was outplayed and quickly replaced by Baker Mayfield. I know that was due to injury, but certainly the way that Tyrod was playing was never going to lead to a course for you to want to go back to him. And I think that's what Tyrod is. And maybe he can be a stabilizing quarterback that doesn't throw a million interceptions and doesn't make a whole lot of plays. We know who Tyrod Taylor is on this podcast, right? I mean, that's the thing is it's like, is he ever going to do anything extra for you to win football games to make a deep run? And Chargers have a pretty good roster. And you you think about maybe putting Cam Newton uh, as a signal caller there, and you, you can find those, those little extras, uh, that can be the difference in winning and losing. Would you have any interest if you were the Buffalo Bills and having either of these guys on your roster? Not so much because of talent, but because you got a third-year quarterback right now with Josh Allen going into his third year as a starter. You want to give him every opportunity to be the best quarterback. So you would have to weigh the talent of either Winston or Newton, and obviously Cam Newton with the Carolina connection. That's You can never completely discount that. But at the same token, you might have a quarterback going into year three who's suddenly looking over his shoulder he has a bad game, even a hell, a bad half, man. You know how fans and the media can get stuff like yeah. that. For that reason alone, would you say it's not worth it? And I'd rather just have Matt Barkley for another year, even if Winston or Newton are unequivocally a better quarterback than Matt Barkley at worst. 
Yeah, I think the reasons that you outlined there are why I wouldn't want it to happen. But I will say this, if you could get everyone on the same page, you could say, hey, we're bringing in whatever, Cam Newton, Andy Dalton, uh, Jameis Winston, bring in one of these guys. And, and everyone understands that that is the backup quarterback. And the reason that we're bringing them in is because our team is too good to hand the reins over to Matt Barkley if Josh Allen goes down. And I think reality is, I think Matt Barkley, if he had to play for six or eight games, that the season would be lost. And you you would ruin your very talented roster because you don't have an adequate backup quarterback. Right. Now you have a chance if that's Winston or, or Newton or, or Dalton. So if everyone understood that, say, hey, we're not bringing you here to start. We hope you don't play. It's our it's our it's our greatest priority to make sure you never have to play. That's a good point. And if you could get on everyone on the same page, then yeah, absolutely. Because I don't want the season to go down the drain if Josh is out for six or eight weeks or longer. And right now, I think that's the case with Matt Barkley as your backup quarterback. It's a great point. All right, so last question here. I asked you earlier to be Joe Marino, Bills GM, and draft the way that you would draft. Now you're going to be Joe Marino, Bills analyst, Bills podcaster, and I want you to make one bold Bills prediction and one bold NFL as a whole draft prediction. Kind of putting you on the spot here to end this. When it's all said and done, tell me one, I don't necessarily a shocker because the Bills don't even have a first round pick here, but something that you definitely see the Bills doing instead of necessarily what you would do, give me one bold Bills draft prediction and then give me something around the NFL that's going to have like somebody draining up for somebody, something crazy happening with this NFL draft. That's how we'll end it. All right, so I don't know if this is super bold for the Bills, but I don't think they trade up at 54. I don't think they do. I do think they trade up for 86. Is that is that that's is that, bold? That's, that's bold. bold enough. It's okay, bold so enough. I think. All right, because <laughs> I, I don't know what they have to give up to move from 54. Like, if they want to keep their three, I looked. I did the math. Their fourth round pick gets them about four to six spots. <laughs> You know, oh, really? so if you're, yeah, it's, it's just like you, unless you want to give up your third round pick, if you give her a third round pick, you give up 54 and 86, you can get up into the forties, you know, in early forties. So it, that's why I think the trade up is that we all expect will happen. will happen at 86 and not 54. All right. What about the NFL? Oh man. Uh, I hope that, okay. You could tell me if this isn't hot enough and I can go back into the well Tua tongue of Iowa is not a top 10 draft pick. Ooh. Yeah. Ha, see, I, uh, we would be on complete opposite sides because my I don't have anything for the Bills because, again, I'd be lying to you <laughs> if I said that I knew enough about these players to make any type of bowl prediction. I would say this, though. I think the Bills are going to make a veteran player trade at some point during the draft. Not saying necessarily Leonard Fournette. It might be a different position altogether. But the Bills are going to uh, pick up some veteran during the draft for a late draft pick. That's my Bills. My NFL one, and this is where we're completely opposite. I'm saying that my everyone expects Miami to take Tua with the fifth pick. I'm saying Tua's not going to be there with the fifth Ooh, pick. Wow, completely opposite. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Oh, <laughs> all right. Well, I, I would say that um, I hope that I'm right because I, I, I want to be right over you on this. But um, I, I, if he goes earlier than Miami, then I like that because that means Miami doesn't get him. That's a good point, too, unless they move up to get them because somebody could leapfrog them like the Chargers yeah. or the Jags or yeah. somebody like that. I'll end it by saying this. He may end up being injury prone and might never be what some people think he's going to be, but I don't want him to go to Miami or New England to find that out. Mm, if he becomes the next great star, let him go to 
Detroit, Jacksonville, Chargers, wherever else. I don't want sure. him in our division. I don't want to see him twice a year because if he's as good as some people say he could be, I don't want to see him twice a year. Yeah, I, I'm with you. And I think that that chance is fairly high that the Dolphins could get him not at five or, you know, if he gets outside of the top 10 that they can move up from 18 or the Patriots can move up from 23. I think those are very realistic chances. And um, if he, you know, if the chargers move up to three or four to get him, then all right, now you're talking about Justin Herbert and Jordan love. And those are much more manageable quarterbacks to defend in my mind. Yeah, I agree. All right, everyone give Joe follow on Twitter at Joe at the Joe Marino. Check out Locked On Bills Podcast. By the way, dude, you really grind that out, man. You put out, what, four, three, four shows a week consistently. Really good stuff. There's not a lot of people out there who uh, grind on their podcast harder than you, man. It's it's a <laughs> lot of fun. I, I, I really do. I like it a lot. What little I do know about the draft is from listening to you. So. <laughs> well, brother, I, I pinch myself every day that uh, I get to do this. So, you know, I, I appreciate the the kind words there, but... You know, if you get a chance to do this stuff, I mean, you got to take advantage of it and uh, keep grinding and, and putting out content and having fun, man. This is this is too great of a line of work to not give it everything you got. All right, good people. That is going to do it for another episode. Very big thank you again, Joe Marino from the Draft Network and, of course, Locked On Bills podcast. Also want to thank today's show supporters, 26 Shirts, Audimute, and Sounds Assured. Coming up on Friday's episode, I'll tell you what, I'm going to get together with Greg Thompson from Cover One literally minutes after round one of the NFL draft concludes on Thursday night. We're going to tape an episode. We will recap round one, get you set up for day two of the draft. Of course, the Bills have picks scheduled in rounds two and three, none in the first round, although that could change, but anyway... That'll be a good conversation. We'll get you all set up for that. Guys, if you haven't done so already, please go ahead, subscribe to this podcast right now. Rating review, all that fun stuff. It really helps me continue to grow this podcast. You can find us on any platform where podcasts are heard. And also, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Talking Buffalo Podcast. Now, that is different than the audio podcast that you hear on all these podcasting platforms. I have highlight clips from current and past episodes up there. And also I have some original audio content that you're only going to find on the YouTube channel. Not going to hear it anywhere else. Not even this podcast. So make sure you subscribe to that as well. And then last but not least, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Tweets. I am on Twitter 24-7, day and night. Tweeting out stuff, talking to fans. That's my spot. That's where I like to be. So you'll find me there at Pamoran Tweets. And I always end the podcast the same way. I got to thank you, the listener, for tuning in. It means the world to me. I know how many podcasts there are out there. And you're spending your time, you're listening to this. That's humbling. So thank you so much. Have a good week. Please, I know it's tough out there. People are getting restless. But stay safe. Do the right thing, stay safe, and hopefully things will get back to normal sooner than later. So stay safe, have a good one. Talk to you again, new episode on Friday. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.